This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, January 26, 2022, and I have a couple of very special guests from MediaTek here. I have James Chen and Finbar Moynihan. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Miriam. Hi, Miriam. Yeah. So I have you on because we want to talk about a couple of very interesting topics. Very, one of them is very future looking. The other one is kind of just around the corner. Uh, the first one that's far away is 6G. And the one that's closer to us is Wi-Fi 7. And so, you know, obviously, we're going to dive into this right now. I just want to let the audience know that a little further in the podcast, I'm going to have Brandon Lee as a guest. I'm going to cover the news and reviews of the week as usual. But, you know, MediaTek's been doing all the Gs and all the Wi-Fis forever now. So tell the audience a little bit more about this my question to you is i you know i'm a tech savvy person i just bought a wi-fi 6 or wi-fi 6e router 6e added the 6 gigahertz band that's a big deal it's making my life better should i even be looking at wi-fi 7 and why and what are the benefits and then with 6g it's the same thing like i'm just getting 5g now and i haven't even seen what it can do with potential hasn't quite been unleashed yet so why 6G? So these are the things we're going to address. And maybe we can start with you, James, on Wi-Fi 7, because I think that's the closest thing to us, yes? Yes, yeah, I'd be happy to. And uh, I think the best way to kind of look at Wi-Fi 7 at a high level in a nutshell is that it is a brand new technology that is perfect for what we call the new normal, I guess, or the hybrid model, where essentially people will need to stay at home you know, either go to school or go to work, but also, you know, obviously, you know, go back to work as needed. And what Wi-Fi 7 does is in addition to increasing the speed by a whole bunch, you know, for example, 2.4x for the same number of antennas, it all also offers just excellent qualities, for example, for lower latency. So we are doing Zoom calls. It's, you know, better, like uh, video calls is better on the computer. It allows uh, you know, the technology to work much more seamlessly in what we call crowded environments. So imagine you're in an apartment complex. Everybody has Wi-Fi sprouting up in their own you know, apartment. So how do you make sure nobody clobbers each other? And there's a bunch of other things that, um, you know, that it, it brings. So it is really, you know, I would say high level, like I said, uh, really a technology for the times. And that's why, you know, you should consider upgrading when it's available. That's really awesome. Tell us a little bit more in terms of like when we can expect these products. At this point, you know, we it seems like we are still just even seeing a rollout of 6 and 6C in the market. Um, and, and I know that there's going to be MWC coming up soon and we're probably going to start seeing some products. But how do you think realistically is going to like how long it'll be before folks are actually enjoying themselves with a Wi-Fi 7 experience that's pretty consistent like we see it on phones since you know you guys you guys make chips for phones you see it on laptops you see it on you know the devices that are critical and need it yeah no that's a great question I, I think you can expect to see it probably around you know I think the second half of 2023 and definitely go into 2024 I'm talking about products on the shelf that people can buy 
or get through uh, their favorite consumer electronics products or get through their whatever sales pro- uh, service provider or whatnot. So, uh, and the reason for that is very simple. Usually, a new wi- when a new Wi-Fi technology comes into play, uh, there is a certification event. Uh, by an industry body known as Wi-Fi Alliance. And usually right around there or shortly thereafter, you see this blossoming of new products with that new technology coming to market. And so that's why it's that date. Okay. Finbar, do you have anything else that you know comes to mind that you think you want to add to that in terms of like timelines or features that I think people will benefit from? Yeah, I mean, I think James James covered quite a lot of it, but you know, I think obviously it's about bringing you know increased speeds. Um, you know, I think reducing a lot of the latency, which I think is going to affect a lot of the use cases that we see going forward. And I think we'll you know we'll see some of the same themes come out in the cellular standards, right? Five G <laughs> is pushing a lot of the same stuff, and I know I know we're going to talk about six G a little later, but um, you know, I think it's the as as James said, the new normal, the increased use cases at home, you know, a lot of discussion now about the metaverse and what that's going to mean for the future in terms of new use cases that will require, you know, different speeds and, and different kind of um, levels of low latency than perhaps we've seen in the past. And, you know, ultimately, that's what these standards are, are, are driving towards, whether it's on the Wi-Fi side or, or on the cellular side. So basically what you're saying is it, further future proofing. We're at a stage now because of a lot of the work at home changes that have happened with the pandemic, where we're with six and six E, we're kind of catching up to a baseline that's acceptable, right? Yeah. And seven is just kind of going to bring us to a point where we have kind of that buffer to do that extra stuff that we might need to do. Like, who knows how soon we're going to get eight K video streaming, right? And and mm-hmm. of course, MediaTek's got a huge play in the TV business with your chipset so exactly that's another area i think that matters even if you know met- the metaverse obviously is a very conceptual thing at this point you know it's going to take a while before it comes in i think wi-fi 7 will be well established way exactly. before that exactly. so again foundational right exactly exactly and i think you know MediaTek. we see it both on the um device side whether it's smartphones tablets chromebooks smart tvs etc as you said but also as James was talking about on the you know access point um, and the client side um, of the of the Wi-Fi access, and I think it's fairly well understood now that you know the pandemic and all of the work from home, educate from home, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has probably accelerated the pace of these standards on the Wi-Fi side a little bit. You know, the adoption of the devices, the adoption of the technology is probably moving a little faster maybe than it had in past generations, right? So it's kind of that new normal that that James was talking about. So getting a little nerdier before we jump into 6G uh, about Wi-Fi 7, would you say that Wi-Fi 7, once it's deployed in your home, is going to be pretty much equivalent and as robust as running a bunch of CAT 7 or whatever the new standard is? Yes. I know CAT 6 is current, but you know, cabling through your home. Is Is that true, James? Yes, absolutely. That's actually one of the goals. Uh, foundational goals to use your term i like that word foundational no yeah. it's very foundational because for the first <laughs> time we have a wireless technology in your home that uh-huh. can replace wire line i mean to a lot of people probably watching your podcast i mean people probably don't plug in ethernet to anything these days because there's no ethernet jack but it's been a long goal of wi-fi to you know be a, a 10 gigabit not just one gigabit Ethernet wire, 
but above up to 10 gigabit, uh, you know, wireline replacement. So yeah. uh, Wi-Fi 7 definitely, you know, can do that. Um, of course, you have to have, you know, the right capabilities and, and performance. But yes, it was designed to expressly do that. So that's why a lot of people are also very excited about it. It's, it's um, transformational in that sense. Great. So anything else you want to add about Wi-Fi 7 before we jump into 6G? Because 6G is obviously a big can of worms. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that it's 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 like they're unruly little worms, right? Um, mostly I want to kind of know where, where MediaTek fits in, in the sense that I know you have a bunch of chipsets available. You're obviously going to integrate Wi-Fi 7 into the mobile processing and the, into the TV processing. Anything you can talk to uh, about that? Uh, because obviously a lot of it is still early stages, but can we expect yeah. uh, MediaTek to deliver these features? Yeah, it's early stages, but but of course, right? We're we're all about investing for the future, so it's not a great stretch of the imagination to to see. And we play in all these markets that you know you've said all these different types of device, devices, whether it's the computer or the uh, TV or the phone or anything else in between or Internet of Things devices. So, of course, we're working on Wi-Fi seven along with you know the industry. Uh, we're not quite ready to make the, the announcement yet when we're going to have those products, but that will follow hopefully very, very shortly. But yes, we are working on it. Awesome. Yeah, I expect you did, but you know, it's nice to hear it from the horse's mouth, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> um, let's talk about 6G a little bit. And I think that's a bit more difficult to talk about because, um, you know, as I was telling you before the podcast, I think that our audience is like, I'm just, I just got 5G. What, what are you talking about? And uh, so to put it into context, I think that, um, you know, maybe you can help put it into context, but I think also I want to kind of hear from you, you know, Assuming we are at the stage that 5G is more readily available because it's still being rolled out, like the the, the miracle of 5G, as I like to call it, is really C-band and the mid-band, and that's where you're getting the kind of the best of both worlds. You're getting good reception, high speeds, low latencies. At the low band, which is what most of the US is seeing today, it's really just LTE on steroids. That's what I've been calling it. So a lot of folks listening right now are aware of this, but I think some of folks are like, yeah, you know, what does it do for me? And of course, millimeter wave is fantastic, but it's a very limited use case at this point. It's still going to remain that way, you know, stadiums, airports, that's all going to happen. But yep. where do we go from there, right? So maybe you can answer that question. And why do we even want to go beyond that at this point? You know, part of me thinks, well, we need to plan 10 years it takes roughly, right? But at mm -hmm. the same time, also, why do the people listening have to worry about this or yeah, do they? Great, great, great question, Mariam. And I, I think it's fair, right? I mean, we should ground this in a little bit of context, right? I mean, 5G still has a long runway ahead of it. Let's be very clear, right? And as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're just starting to see, you know, C-band and those mid-bands uh, rolling out in the States, which I think will will make a big difference to people's experiences here. You know, other regions have had those kind of frequency bands rolled out for 5G for a while. And I think we see the benefit there, you know, where markets like China are already, you know, 85, 90% penetrated with, with 5G devices now. Um, and exactly, you know, things like release 16, release 17 on the standard to 5G are going to continue to bring in, you know, new features, right? More carrier aggregation, uh, more aggregation of different frequency bands and different frequency types. Uh, you know, improvements to latency, uh, reduction, et cetera. Um, so those things are still going to continue to happen on the, on the 5G world. But as you said, 
you know, MediaTek has just issued um, a white paper on our vision for 6G. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, you know, a technology leader in these connectivity technologies, like we're going to be on the forefront of, you know, hopefully shaping what happens with this going forward. But we're looking at sort of, a you know, the next year or two is going to be where the kind of high level direction for 6G gets laid out, you know. You know, 26, 27 is probably when we start to see the first specs coming out of the standardization work, right? You know, we probably are not going to see, you know, commercial networks until, you know, 29, 30. So, you know, we're still yeah. a long way away, right? And and for sure, you know, 6G is going to build on a lot of that foundation. Foundation seems to be the word we're using today of um, what 5G is promising and delivering. Right. So both in terms of the use cases and the technologies and the network architectures that will be needed to, to build from. What do you think realistically are the goals? I mean, you know, the goals for 5G were very clear. More phones on less spec, like less physically sized spectrum, like more yeah. calls going through more, you know, more data going through more people in one cell tower, less latency and better data speeds up, particularly up. We've, we're starting to see all that. Where do we go from here? Like, what else do we need? Do we just crank the dial to 11 on all three of those? <laughs> or do we, uh, are we starting to see some crazy new stuff? Like millimeter wave obviously came out of 5G or the other way around, 5G came out of millimeter wave. Millimeter wave has been around for a while in other areas. Um, and, and you know, new radio NR. I mean, where are they going to call it next? Newer radio? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll leave that to bigger minds than mine, maybe. But I, I think, you know, yes, it's it's all of the above, right? I mean, so, you know, some of the, the vision that we've laid out and others in the industry are talking about are, you know, increasing the speeds by, you know, two to three orders of magnitude. So we're talking about like, you know, um, you know, 10x to 100x. So, you know, potentially seeing speeds up to like a terabit per second. Right? Wow. Now, now that only comes possible with big, wide areas of new spectrum, which are yeah. going to be in much higher frequency bands. So not just millimeter wave, but we're now starting to talk about like sub terahertz. So we're talking about 100 to 300 megahertz or, or gigahertz, excuse me, frequency bands um, being used for this, right? So all of the challenges that the industry is continuing to work through in terms of the deployment of millimeter wave are going to be there in 6G and are going to be even more challenging for the industry right. in 6G because the frequencies are going to be higher and the propagations are going to be more challenging. And therefore, you know, we think it's going to take, you know, very innovative and new approaches to the network architecture to allow the 6G promise to be delivered, you know, so that's going to, that's going to take some work. James, a question for you real quick related to this. And it is also Wi-Fi 7 related in a way. I mean, we are still waiting for the magic bullet in a way to give us, uh, to come out for 5G in the sense that like Uber and all that uh, mobile stuff came out of 4G, right? Um, and we're still waiting for the thing that really makes 5G shine. And, you know, there are some applications that are starting to emerge. Uh, obviously, you know, metaverse is a big word right now in the industry. I think it's silly, but... Uh, I mean, I don't think the technology is silly. I think the wording is silly. But I think that, uh, you know, clearly that could be a big key thing for the, you know, the later parts of 5G and the earlier parts of 6G by that time. But do you imagine anything, James, that really like in your mind would be like, this is why we need 6G. And and I can't personally, other than maybe huge data sets needing to be accessed well, uh, in real time, 
uh, between, you know, maybe vehicles, like autonomous vehicles talking to each other all the time, something like that? Well, I think you bring up a good point because, you know, the we're going to uh, approach a point, maybe already at that point, where the amount of bandwidth and information we present uh, can only be so much to be processed by a, a human. Right. Um, and now we now as speed scale, we can either go in two directions. One is go to non-humans, so like automotive or machines. Uh, that's one direction. And the other direction for increasing the bandwidth would be the number of machines or stuff that need to be interconnected all at the same time that need real-time information. Right. So this ability for, you know, some years back ago, I was reading there's this concept called singularity where the compute power at some point advances so much by technology that there's a point where it exceeds that of, you know, humans. I think, you know, with uh, bandwidth, regardless of it's, uh, you know, 5G, 6G, Wi-Fi 7 or even Wi-Fi 8 down the road, we're going to approach a point where I think it's necessary for networks and machines to be all-knowing and omnipresent. Right. And we can't do that right now with 5G or Wi-Fi no. 6 or Wi-Fi 7. And perhaps that's where we are going. Now, I hate to you know, go all future and science fiction-y on everybody, <laughs> but, but you know, there is a point where the you know, average human being can only consume so much data. So you have to look beyond that, beyond yeah. that physical limitation. And sure, I mean, there's things in security and uh, healthcare or maybe whatever that uh, maybe government uses that you need a lot of compute and bandwidth just to keep us safe and keep us aware because human beings can't do it. It's the... It's the network equivalent of AI or machine learning for CPUs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of why I brought up... that's probably the way to think about it. I brought up uh, autonomous cars because the amount of data they generate right now Mm -hmm. to get, you know, to talk to one another and say, hey, I'm here and and this is what's going on. I'm seeing from around the corner, letting you know what I'm seeing, you know, way down the freeway ahead of time kind of thing. You need super low latency and huge data sets. Um, So, you know, yeah, absolutely. And... So yeah, I think, look, this is kind of exciting and it's exciting that MediaTek is right there, right? As usual, uh, kind of pushing the envelope and trying this new. Yeah. So I want to thank you, James and Finbar for being my guests yet again on the show (laughs) one more time. Thanks again. Thanks, Mario. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Mary. So now I've got Brendan here with us. Hi, Brendan. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Folks, you all know Brandon from This Is Tech Today. Brandon, what do you think of this MediaTek stuff? Wi-Fi 7, 6G? Are we thinking about 6G already? Jeez. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of wild. I, you know, I don't really know what to expect from Wi-Fi, to be honest with you, and how much of a difference it's going to bring in a practical sense right now, to be honest. Uh, I, I haven't really utilized 6E too much, so... I guess we'll have to find out once we get there, but I'm really, really excited about the Dimensity 9000. Yeah, I I th- want to see what that chip brings to the table. Absolutely. We've got a bunch of, of rumors again this week. I mean, it's all pre-MWC stuff. Are you going to Barcelona, by the way? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm still kind of oh. keeping it chill for now. Yeah, I've managed to make it happen this year, so I'm definitely heading out there. Um, But we're going to talk about some of those phone rumors, folks. But we also want to talk audio because me and Brandon are big audio pros. I mean, Mm -hmm. at least in my past. And you just recently reviewed or did a comparison. You know, I mean, you you basically shared your very candid thoughts on the Galaxy Buds 2. 
So do you want to walk us through this real quick? Like what, I mean, first of all, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the, on the buds, but also kind of generally, like, where do you think the state of the audio is for mobile? Because I have thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, for those of you who haven't watched the video, it's an interesting video where I use a binaural microphone. So it has like fake uh -huh. ears and everything. It's like super weird looking, uh, but it's high quality. It's a $2,000 microphone. And uh, instead of using it for ASMR, like some weird Twitch streamer, uh, I use it for audio samples and recordings. And so it gives it a, an opportunity for you to kind of hear what it would sound like. It's not going to be a perfect translation, but it gives you the option to have comparative differences. So what I end up doing is I put uh, headphones or earbuds onto that binaural mic, and I, I have sample recordings of all of it, which is yeah. really cool because you can actually, like, instead of just having some person tell you some ambiguous words or whatever, you can actually hear the difference. And so what's really crazy is that amongst all the different Samsung Galaxy Buds, the ones that sound really good are the Galaxy Buds Pro. And all the others sound really inferior in comparison to them. And, and surprisingly, the Galaxy Buds Plus sound better than the Galaxy Buds 2. It's interesting. Do you think a lot of that has to do with fit? Because I, I feel that's my biggest challenge with earbuds is fit, right? I mean, I use EMs, right? Um, In-ear monitors that are custom fitted. I have Edematics. Those are my wired, you know, reference things that I use if I really want the best sound quality, the most neutral. It's not the best, in my opinion. I, I would love a little more bass, but I have the yeah. ER4Ss um, and the newer ones because there's generations of them. I've had multiple pairs over the years. I started in the early 90s with the Edematics, like when they were just fresh, and it was a revelation back then. You know, this is before Sure made IMs and everybody else jumped the bandwagon. So that's kind of my go-to sound. In terms of headphones my go-to sound i'm wearing beard dynamic gt 990 pros right now you know nice uh, and that's kind of like that hd 600 those are kind of like my preferred sound signature so i struggle with a lot of modern audio because i feel that by default it's too bass heavy typically now i do mm -hmm. like a little bit of bass boost for not critical listening but for like listening on the go because a lot of you know ambience even with noise canceling you you, you pick up a lot of crap but in my opinion, I've got all the buds and I kind of feel like, I don't know, the plus is very good. I think that the pros are good too. The twos, yeah, you're right. They're not, they're not super great. I overall feel that I can't listen to them without tweaking the settings. And I don't, don't mean by tweaking the settings uh, separately. Like I'm not a believer in tweaking the audio on my phone with a separate EQ on my phone. I'm a believer in having some way to tweak the EQ and firmware inside the Bluetooth earbud. Oh, so, wow. Right. So what I'm saying to you is take, for example, Sony's earbuds and headphones, right? Like the WH-1000XM4s, which are the headphones, and the W... I'm impressed that you remembered that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm an audio nerd. The WF-1000XM4s, which are the earbuds. I have both, and I have... You can apply in Sony's app a custom EQ curve that suits your needs, and it stays with the earbud so mm -hmm. or the headphone. So you, you tune it, it tells the DSP in there, this is your setting, remember it, and then anything you pair from then on, it doesn't matter if you pair your computer, uh, a you know audio player, a phone, it just stays with your sound signature. You don't ever have to worry about tweaking the EQ on the phone or the app on the phone. And that's kind of what I like. So the the Samsungs let you do that, but they don't have actual fine tuning. They have like these presets, right? Right. And did you see the presets called Clarity? There's one called Clarity. Yeah, there's, there's six different presets. Every <laughs> Galaxy Bud is 
the only way for me to be palatable is with clarity turned on. Now, it still doesn't meet my perfect like preference, but have you found anything about this in your research? Did you find like what do you prefer in terms of sound signature and and what did you prefer on the buds, all the buds? Yeah, it's interesting cuz audio is really coming down to preference and then your use case. So if I'm doing right. something as an audio engineer, I want to have a neutral sound, it, which is not very exciting. Uh, but that means that it translates everywhere. You hear everything evenly. But in terms of actual use for casual listening, yeah, I, I do prefer a little bit more of the bass, but not to the level that you hear most things. Um, there, there is that overemphasis on bass and then like scooping out the mids and then not even having a lot of high end. Or if they do have high end, it's just this shrill, like tinny or crunchy high end that I hate. So oh, I hate it too. Yeah, so I like having mid-range there because you know what's there? It's your piano. It's your guitar. Your it's voice. like the, your voice. Yeah, the presence mm -hmm. that's all there. And so when you have this scooped out sound, it may sound clean and, and have this nice sound, but it's actually just, you know, it's not great. Um, so you're you're missing a lot of uh, information there. And, and having a, a nice, beautiful sound stage where you hear the shimmering reverbs and the the symbols and everything else where you feel like you're symbols, immersed man. in symbols is how yeah. i test it all like I, I have a few tracks i play that are flack and i just listen to the symbols and i'm like yep or nope and then sometimes i tune it right in eq in in earbud with their presets or whatever setting they have if they have one a lot of yeah. earbuds don't even have that option and then they get thrown out for me immediately because I, I can't if I can't tune them in DSP in firmware, there's no point because I don't want to have to adjust every device I'm using. <laughs> and then and then then if I tune them and the even if the overall presentation sounds right to me, but then the symbols aren't clean, I throw it out because I just like that's I don't know I'm super sensitive to it, which is why I'm also super sensitive to lossless codecs yeah. because a lot of them just mangle the high end. What's interesting is that there are a lot of earbuds out there, and the reality is, is they're not using uh, the greatest drivers or speakers, uh, right. in, in a simpler term. Um, and so when you adjust the EQ on it, it falls apart. And I yep. think that's really telling. So they're really selling you really cheap, you know, cruddy speakers <laughs> um, <laughs> that just happen to have uh, enough of a tuning to make you think it sounds good, but it's not. And, and, and people just don't have the trained ear for that, which is the sad part. It's like, Audio is a really hard thing to get the best like uh, experience or, or to pitch people to go for the higher end because it's not like a TV. When you look at a TV and it's like, oh, that's 4K or that's HDR. It's like so obvious you can just see it. But with audio, you really have to train your ear and hear the nuances and almost hear things side by side in order to notice it. And so, you know, most of the earbuds out there right now, I just I just do not like and they fall apart. I, I do prefer um, using a graphic equalizer to, to do manual uh, adjustment. So like I, I've reviewed the Razer Hammerhead Pros and mm -hmm. on their own on a base level, even though they have THX tuning and, and I, you know, I love the people at THX and Razer, but I, I didn't like the tuning. Um, but thankfully they had a graphic EQ option within the app. And when I adjusted that, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually love these way more than the AirPods Pro and all these other different ones. They're one of my favorite ones because of my custom settings. Yeah, no, that makes a big difference too. So I'm a big Sony person for the my wireless needs, uh, primarily the the headphones, the WH-1000 XM4s, because I fly a lot. Mm 
And uh, I find them to be incredibly good at noise canceling, obviously, mm -hmm. but without coloring the sound too much. And the fact that I can EQ in DSP in firmware and get exactly what I want out of them. By default, out of the box, they're a little too bass heavy for me. Yeah. And But I tweak that out and they're actually nice because they have like a kind of a loudness slider. You know, the, the yeah. magical, weird loudness settings. And so that lets me actually adjust it without changing too much the main EQ. And I've got a, as you said, I've got a go-to setting that just works for me. But I've tried some earbuds that I have. I've tried adjusting the settings and there are some settings in there. For example, the, the OnePlus buds. And I, I mean, there are various OnePlus buds, but it's interesting to me. I, that's when I find the limitations. Like I tweak it to what I want and it still sounds, overall the presentation is right. Like the frequency response is flatter, but they fall apart in the high end or the yeah. low end or the mid range somewhere. Something just doesn't work because the, as you said, the drivers are so cheap that the, the firmware is already compensating for that, that weakness. And by trying to fix that, I just kind of make them do something they can't do, right? Yeah. And so... I would love to hear what you thought of the Buds 2 and the Buds, all the Samsung Buds in general's presentation in terms of these EQ settings. Did you find one that you liked that kind of seemed to work most of the time so you didn't have to touch a complicated graphic EQ? Yeah, what's interesting is, yeah, they only have the, the six different presets amongst right. all the Buds. And as a whole, I don't like all of them and I don't like having that control. Right. And if there is one that I actually like the most, it's only on the Galaxy Buds Pro, and it's surprisingly just the normal setting. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, because it, it does have like a, a solid low end to it and a nice shimmering high end um, without losing tons of the mid range. When I went with like clean or or any of the other settings, I found that it started to fall apart a little bit in different areas that, that yep. it was excelling at before. Um so that's really surprising for me. But as a whole, like I, I would like to have a little bit of an adjustment there on them. Uh, but you know, Samsung doesn't let you do that. You can get third party options for the, yeah, the app course. and stuff, but like yeah. you know, that requires a little bit more uh, knowledge on how to how to EQ things. Yeah, it's hard to play with the graphic EQ. Even I, you know, I've been doing audio for thirty years, and you put, I always, you know, I you have to stop. It's like you have to stop at some point and go and take a break. <laughs> And go back and go like how did how how bad did I mess this up? Yeah, right? fresh and ears. you go like, oh my god, I'm so far off because it's so easy to kind of like you know psychoacoustics. The way we hear sound mm -hmm. is it's 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 tunable, it's adaptable. So if you're playing with a sound signature, your brain gives you this false positive that you've got the right thing, and then you go back to it and you're like, nope. And it's also why it's really important to isolate noise and you know any kind of surrounding interference for like, you know, you know, just even a fan in the background. It just, your brain will adapt and then you'll get an EQ setting that's just not right. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's my experience. But well, real quick, I think that, that that part is the coolest part, like and most frustrating part about being an audio engineer. So like, because your body is adapting and compensating for things. So that's why I like having this microphone. It's really so shocking. It's surprising for me uh, because when I'm recording all of them, I'm like, that, but that's not how I, I perceived it. it when I put it in my my ear. <laughs> like So how does it actually sound that way? And, but like I'm still putting it in the same way for every single one. I'm making sure there's a good seal on every single one. And the microphone is just going to be a microphone. It's just going to record it in the most sterile, scientific, whatever it actually is way. And, it, and your brain is not compensating for it. So when you get these comparative differences, you're just like, well, 
that's actually what I'm getting. Holy crap. Okay. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's interesting though, but fit I think is a real thing. Like yeah. the size of your ear canal, the way it's shaped, all of that is unfortunately never taken into account by the standard binaural set because mm-hmm. the ears are standardized. Right. And I feel that for, unless you have custom molds, which I'm not expecting you to be able to have. So for these, all these earbuds, actually not all of them because so, some of the Samsung ones we're talking about, the pluses, right? Um, and maybe the original don't have uh, silicone tips, right? I think the... Oh, it's the lives that don't have tips. The lives, thank you. Yeah, yeah I hate the lives. They just don't sound right to me. No. <laughs> it's funny because you're right. The plus, the pros, and the twos are my favorite out of the box. And to get them quite kind of close to where I want, I turn on the clean or clarity or whatever mm-hmm. setting. And um, But the regular, the, the base original ones and uh, the live ones didn't work for me. But it's interesting. Here's an interesting one. I had the original OnePlus Buds, not noise canceling, no silicone tips. Mm-hmm. I, they're like AirPods, like the original AirPods, right? Yeah. And I love their sound of the box. To me, they're almost perfect, wow. but a lot of other people hate them. And I think it's due to fit. I don't even push them in any way in my canal. I'll just let them rest on my conch and they're perfect to me. Like they sound some of the best earbuds I've heard out of the box. Yeah. It's uncanny. and everyone else disagrees with me and i think it's a i mean part of them yeah i think a fit thing but part of it is also they disagree because they're like bass heavy and it's not bass heavy that way right Right. but um i have not the other three earbuds they made they made the the bud z and then the buds pro and then the bud z2 and i don't like any of them like i just don't they're not good enough they don't pass muster because they don't first of all they don't have in um in firmware eq of any kind that i can tweak and secondly they're just way too bass heavy. And I think honestly, the pros are the worst. Like it's funny how sometimes buying the cheapest one, I tell you the best one I have right now are the uh, Realme Buds Air 2. I'm looking at the box back behind me. The Realme Buds Ear 2 are $39. Whoa. They have silicone tips. They have active noise canceling. And I don't have to do any EQ. Out of the box, they sound fantastic. Now, they're not gonna blow your mind they're not even remotely as good as you know like the sony's or the even the you know some of the apple stuff or or like you know never mind my uh my uh or whatever but they present in a consistent nice and flat way and they're nice and pleasant and comfortable and they do decent noise canceling and they're cheaper than even the cheapest oneplus buds you can buy like and it's the same company. It's Realme. It's BBK Group. And they have an EQ setting in firmware if you want to turn it on. So I'm like, how is it that the same company, it uses the same app, Hey Melody, right? Like, unless you have a OnePlus phone, then it's automatic. But it's incredible to me that the same company produces completely radically different earbuds for yeah. different price points, for different sound signatures even. Yeah. Like, have you noticed that? It like, really Anchor bizarre. does that too with their different brands, you know? I'll be, yeah, I could, I have a lot to say about Soundcore, but the, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh God, no, I don't like them generally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, what's interesting is we've been talking about a lot of different earbuds that have active noise canceling or A and C. And right. I have a lot of thoughts about that because, you know, you, you have your, your top, top tier, which is honestly like the Galaxy, or I mean, uh, this uh, Apple AirPods Pro. Your yep. Bose Quiet Comfort and uh, your your Sony's your XM4s I can't remember all of them. <laughs> yep, you and got th- it. That sounds like an an echoic chamber where you feel like there's no reflections or anything going on, and that can be a very disorienting thing. But that's like 100%. high quality. 
And then you have some that are like, okay, yeah, like this, this is definitely reducing a lot of the room tone, like the hums and, and the ambient, like uh, uh, sounds and stuff like that. And that's good. Um, but it's not amazing. And then you have some that it feels like it was just uh, like a bullet point on a spec sheet. I'm like, I don't know why this is here. I sound like I'm in a tunnel. It's not doing anything. And I find like most of the earbuds are actually like that. And, and so I don't think uh, active noise canceling on its own is something that people uh, should be able to just take at face value. They really have to research that to find out if it's actually useful. Yeah, I I think that really is a to me that's more of a matter of personal preference. You know, I can live with complete isolation because I've worn IMs for years and yeah. because I've worked in recording studios that are super quiet. Um, but I I feel you. I think for some people having some minimal amount of you know it's it's interesting. I don't know how familiar with dithering and the whole concept of adding noise to a signal mm -hmm. to make it sound better uh, in some way. For example, back in the days when we used to do uh, used to have DACs that were only fourteen bits uh, or ADCs. Um, and you wanted to get 16-bit out of them, you'd use dithering. You'd add a little bit of noise so that the, low, the lowest significant bit wouldn't sound so crunchy, right? Hmm. So the low-level audio would sound... There was a very small like layer of background noise there, but it would sound really natural because the ADC always had to convert something, and yeah. you didn't have that weird you know, lower significant bit BS going on. It's so fascinating to me how some of us naturally love it more with some tiny little bit of something in the background and so yeah. i actually would love to see in firmware them introduce a feature that you know instead of transparency mode an adjustable transparency mode where you can say it very low like i want one percent two percent five percent of background audio mixed in just to give me that more natural feel right. you know if that's how you feel about it or even synthesize some white noise in the background very 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 faintly in the dsp before the conversion to to analog in the in the in the dac inside the buds i mean all of that but you know we're nerding out so hard right now like i mean this is kind of what we if we had like you and i should create our own brand of earbuds that's basically <laughs> what go. happens brandon we're gonna go to china shenzhen and get somebody to manufacture the you know the, the brand there you go. the branded buds for us um, but I'm still excited that like if I look at, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was getting started and like the choices people have at the prices people have, like, you know, and the fact that wireless, yeah, it's still not perfect, but it doesn't suck anymore. It used to be right. so bad in the early days of SBC, literally you would hear the music slow down and speed up because the clock rate could be consistent depending on the Bluetooth uh, connection. Like, Around 2000, I want to say seven, six, the early, early Nokia wireless earbuds, like I would, or some, there weren't earbuds back then. There were, you know, neck buds or, or <laughs> mostly headphones. Yeah. And, and you could literally, your music, the, the sample rate would slow down. You're like, no. <laughs> like, and now here we are, we have Aptex HD, we have LDAC. LDAC's my favorite right now, Kodak, in terms of, you know, being lossy but high quality. Um, and Sony uses it a lot. But it's it's fascinating to me. And, you know, I feel that even even with these Samsung Buds, you get some pretty, you get something pretty great, especially with, as you said, the pluses, the pros, and the twos. Although I think the pluses and the pros are my favorite out of all of them. The twos are not too bad, but they're not quite a, it's a step down from the pros. Yeah. It has waterproof issues too. It's only like, what, I think it was an IPX, two or something like it's like they're cheaping out on us 
Yeah. I mean, seriously, Samsung. Oh, man. Have you heard of uh, uh, the WISA standard for audio? Yes. Yeah, that, it's a little bit... It's not the, what you get on an earbud. We're, we're going a little bit deep. Like, but like, this is for, for like surround sound systems and stuff like that. And it, it allows you to have wireless um, audio in a lossless format. And what's so fascinating about all of it is that it's essentially kind of creating like a Wi-Fi network. And it's just connecting to all these different speakers. And, you know, so the only wire you need is the power cable or if it has battery built into it. But, you know, a power cable, I'll do I'll do that over running long audio cables across my room. Um, yeah. And, and you can just keep adding on more and more speakers and, and having that high quality, you know, connection and bandwidth for lossless audio with low, low, low latency is astounding. And so that's that's the newest thing that's happening in in a home theater, and and hopefully it comes somewhere else because I've had a tremendous experience with it. I've actually don't have much experience with it, but I think the idea is really sound, and I love what I love how the audio industry is just kind of continuing this march. Like you know, there was a time when I was felt very jaded about it. I was like, yeah, we've reached kind of like the pinnacle. Yeah, flak, you can do ninety six twenty four, like whatever. Do you need anything more than that? Then I discovered DSD, right? Digital, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the one bit. Um, digital streams that Sony came up with, with for SACD, and that blew my mind. And I still think today, if I had if I have the choice of listening to the best digital experience I can possibly, it's going to be an SACD of some kind, like yeah. a two channel SACD. I'm not a multi multi channel person, but that's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> nowadays you don't do that. You listen to a DSD stream that you purchased or whatever from Title or something. I don't know if Title supports DSD. I think this. I, w- I want to say they're probably using PCM. But anyway, the, the point is, it's just fascinating to me that we just keep piling stuff yeah. on. It's like we've, it's like imagine like you felt like you've reached perfection five times over and it just keeps getting better and sweeter. And at a price point that keeps coming down in an portability that keeps going up. Like these wireless earbuds we have today that are, you know, true wireless, completely independent left and right. There used to be sync issues and stuff that's still there somewhat, but it's so much better than we, than you have. And like for imaging and soundstage and that the crispy symbols we're talking about, since it's generally, we're listening to a stereo stream coming in. That's one of the reason they sound smeary is like, if you can't time the Mm. left and right ear properly, you're screwed. Like it just milliseconds, microseconds are going to change the sound quality and the texture and the timber of the sound. Yeah, you're running you know, into phase issues and everything. Oh my God, phase is like the, <laughs> the both audio the worst and the best bane of, of existence. Of any kind of audio. Yeah, yeah I, I'm so fascinated though that like how how different audio engineers are because you you're on a more like technical like oh dithering and and all these different things and I I come from a uh, live sound band musician background. So the idea of an, a graphic EQ, like you're just like, oh, I don't want to go there. And for me, I'm just like, this is my my playground. Like, you know, well, like, you have to, <laughs> right? I mean, you're in a sound space, you have to adjust it. Yeah, I, I totally get mixing that. for a, a cruddy room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think it's interesting. So to me, that we're we're getting so much good choices, yeah. and and no matter what your taste in music is. It's uh, getting better. What I want to see is better fit compensation mm-hmm. in some way. I want it to be so that, you know, there's some earbuds and some headphones that do kind of a pinging. They ping your ear canal and kind of get, an, um, um, you know, a, basically a transfer function out of it, yeah. right? Like if you if you send an impulse to anything and you record that impulse back, right. you can get a kind of a curve of how the the the... The space responds. The space could be as small as your ear canal and as big as a, a big, big concert yeah. hall. And it gives you at least a starting point for EQing things. 
I kind of wish some earbuds do that. Like the OnePlus have that sound tuning feature, the Pro ones. Yeah, the new AirPods have that. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's actually shockingly good. I remember getting them and I was expecting to just poo-poo all over it. I'm like, oh, okay, these stupid things, they don't even go in my ears. Yeah. <laughs> and then I put them in, I'm like, okay, these are actually really great. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And then I would actually shift it in my ear. Yeah. I would shift it in my ear and I would hear the sound change. I was like, okay. Yeah, they okay, do it dynamically, which is the only ones who do it dynamically, which I think is really impressive. Most of them do it statically. And the OnePlus feature isn't very good, to be honest with you. It's a one-time thing, and I mean, you can redo it as many times as you want. But I, I found that it doesn't match my reality very well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me how we are still pushing forward. W what are your favorites right now? What are your favorite earbuds and headphones since we've talked about basically samsung a lot yeah i mean i've i've been using uh the biodynamics uh dt 900 you know pro x's mm -hmm. and the 700 pro x's depending on what you know context i'm in uh, i prefer yeah. the 900 x's uh for just listening to things because they're open back and so they get a, a wider yeah. sound stage yeah same but with these the, yeah it, but when i was recording uh the galaxy bud video i had the 700 pros because they have closed back ones yeah. and and you know absolutely if anyone who is familiar with biodynamic headphones and uh, recording studios you know that the dt uh was it 770 pros uh, and, and like the DT 700 Pro X's, which I think they're kind of trying to use as the replacement. Those are kind of like an industry standard. They're everywhere. They're yeah, great tracking absolutely. headphones and everything. So that's what I, I use. Um, I actually haven't gotten into a lot of like the professional in-ear monitors uh, uh, too much because I, you know, when I was first starting out as an audio engineer, I had no money whatsoever. No, so it's expensive. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And I, I would see these. I'm like, Oh, I wish I could buy them, but I can't. Uh, but I recently, um, picked up some just for fun. Uh, it, it's the Criticals, uh, the Dusk Plus or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, he has his own, uh, earbuds that are, are, are available and those are fairly neutral, but they're not for people who have small ear canals. Apparently I found out. I found out that I have really, really big ear canals because I can wear the Galaxy Buds uh, Pro like nobody. Uh, <laughs> it's totally comfortable. And I hear all these people in my Discord server saying, like, I can't fit them in my ear. Like, they're just too big. I'm like, Are you, wait, what? Like, why? Yeah, no, that's real. I know people with really small ear canals. I have, I'm on the medium to large side, depending on yeah. which buds I buy and use. I tend to, I'm, a, I guess, on the slightly bigger side. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th that's kind of what I've been using um, for like gaming. Or, or like you know bluetooth gaming or whatever uh you know i do like the ph or thx panda drops you know headphones mm -hmm. uh, uh, panda drops are pretty damn great yeah they have a, good, a nice mid-range to all of it but uh yeah i mean i'm primarily just using the biodynamics right now for headphones yeah uh, yeah i'd like yeah. to go higher and maybe get a focal uh but those are oh. you know uh, yeah my friend <laughs> my friend who mixes for like wolfpack and scary pockets and all these other different you know, awesome bands. Oh, you know folks that work Carry Pockets and Volfax? Nice. Yeah, yeah. my friend uh, Caleb, Will and Caleb Parker, if you want to check him out, um, he mixes all of the Scary Pockets uh, songs. So he, Oh, nice. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. And so he has um, a pair of Focal headphones that he uses for, you know, spot mixing on the go, because obviously he's going to use like real <laughs> studio monitors. Um, but like he let me use those and I, I had an experience. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going on right now, but I hear a lot oh, of yeah. things I didn't know was there. Oh, yeah. For sure. Like, I feel like if I, the, the reason I'm using my bears is because they're bulletproof, right? Yeah. They are something, I, it's it's a reference for me. I know them well. I know what I'm going to get out of them. And I can mix with them. I can work with them or I can play with them. I can listen. I can enjoy Um, They're not offensive. They're cheap too, because yeah. I've gone through so many, even though they're pretty rugged, the pros, 
I've destroyed a number of them. Well, and they're so comfortable. Like, it and feels like clouds around comfy. your ears. <laughs> Even right now, I need you uh, pads because yeah. they're really dirty because you sweat and they yeah. get nasty. And I do a podcast every week <laughs> and I wear these to work with. Like, yeah. if my room is quiet, I don't do anything with active noise canceling. Mm-hmm. I just wear these. If my room is loud, like my I live next to a bar, so sometimes it gets a little crazy, or the neighbors are a lot of control. I just put my Sony's on, yeah. and I use uh, I use wired if I need to edit because oh, sync. Um, there's it's not so much precision of on my Macs. You know they're pretty good. It's more the uh, there's always a click sound when the Bluetooth gets turned on and off, like for power oh. saving. So you know you're editing and you're like you're not playing music, so it shuts down, and then you hit the pace bar and it. The first thing you hear is that taking my recording? Is that taking Bluetooth? Yeah, that drives me right? nuts. So, you, so I use a, I use wired on the Sony's, um, and then I use wireless if I wanted if I'm just listening to an entire album or a playlist or something, and I'm, yeah. I'm working writing a review or something. Uh, but I try to avoid noise canceling because again, it colors the sound even if it's really good and. So that's my go-to. My my IMs are really in the old days when I used to fly and I, there was no good active noise canceling. I used to use the Atomotics with my custom ear molds. But here's the thing. Your ears, as you get older, change in shape. They're getting bigger for me very yeah. slightly. So, so I weird. actually need to get them <laughs> refitted. They're a little loose. They're still good. I can get a seal still, but they're a little loose and because they're 20 years old, my molds, believe it or not. Those wow. things last forever. Um, so I need to redo them. But it's interesting to me how, you know, we have so much choice. And if if I, you know, yeah, I'd love some Focals or, you know, even higher end than that if I could. Like, you know, Bayer makes some really nice cans that are mm. really expensive. Sennheisers make some really nice cans. I don't have a pair of HD 600s. I've always used them and borrowed them and enjoyed them a lot. I'd love, you know, like Mastrop had a pair, like yeah. a... A, you know clone and i i was thinking of just buying them just to have them around because they're such a reference i would don't think i'd use them day to day i'd still use my bears because they're so much more bulletproof like i literally drop these things from ear height onto onto my floor sometimes and <laughs> because they're all metal other than you know the few plastic pieces generally what breaks for me is cords and unfortunately unlike sennheiser they're not you know they're not easy to replace the cords on the bears and then uh what also breaks is I, I just end up with one of the drivers starting to have rattles because oh. there's hair in there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can take them apart a lot and I can sometimes tweezer the hairs out, but you get to a point where it's 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 a lost cause. You know, yeah. you listen to heavy bass and you can hear that one of the drivers is distorting and there's just nothing you can do. They're perfectly usable still, but not for the kind of work you and I do. Yeah. So yeah. I just throw them. It's I interesting them though. I just keep them for spare parts, but I get another pair because that's a wonderful thing about it. You yeah. can buy these for less than 200 bucks on, uh, you know, these are less than $200 on Amazon. So yeah. whatever. And, and the, the thing that they changed with the new models, the Pro Xs, is they, and, yeah. and they've kind of done this a little bit before, but they've really pushed into it for this generation is they've made each and every single part replaceable. And that's something oh, that nice. I love and I wish would be, you know, we could find across the industry is like hey if if something breaks or or i need to replace something can i actually do that or do i have to throw away the whole thing and buy a new one because that costs a lot of money to do to do that and it's really bad for the environment so the fact that biodynamic is you know going in that direction i I just love it's great so hey let's jump into some news want to do that there's a bunch (laughs) of stuff and I'd love to hear thoughts some th- some of it. Some of it, I'm sure you have some opinions. Some of it, I'm just going to quickly go through to mm-hmm. let the audience know that it exists. Let's start with the stuff that's maybe not as exciting. Um, 
So the, the officially this week, we basically got a bunch of new phones, but they're not, you know, uh, US bound phones. So there's the uh, Redmi Note series, which is the, every year Xiaomi comes out with a Redmi Note and it's kind of mind blowing how good the specs are for the money. And this is another, you know, set of those. So you're, we're getting the Redmi Note 11 series this year. There's four phones and... You know, the pricing again, you, there's no US pricing on these, but they're very between like say 200 and 280 bucks or so, 300 maybe at most. They're some, you know, one of them, the uh, Note 11 Pro 5G is a 5G phone, but interestingly, using uh, a chip we haven't, I mean, we know exists, but we haven't seen yet. It's the <laughs> Snapdragon 695. So mm. that's a cool, cool little tidbit there. Uh, then we have a 4G version with a Helio. G96, which is basically uh, MediaTek's, one of MediaTek's top 4G chips, I believe. And then these are both 108 megapixel non-abinning cameras, and they have uh, large batteries, and they have the, uh, what is it, the 6.67-inch AMOLED 120 hertz. Really nice screen. So imagine a phone for 300 bucks that has all that. Yeah, that's why. It's pretty sweet. So that's why every year they're very great success, usually very popular in Asia and generally in India as well. So like Philippines, you know, other parts of uh, the Pacific Islands and the Far East. So it's interesting to me that they're this year made four models. They're actually like kind of diversifying. So the, the Note 11 is kind of the cheaper one of them all. And it has a 6.43 inch LCD at 90 hertz. Mm. But... It has a Snapdragon, another chip we haven't seen yet that we know exists. We, it's been published, but we haven't seen a phone with it yet. It's Snapdragon 680 4G chip. And then uh, then the, the one I have, which I put in an unboxing video. By the way, I will put a link to your Galaxy Buds 2 video awesome. in the show Thanks. notes. So folks, check that out. And check out my unboxing of the Redmi Note 11S. So the 11S is interesting because it's kind of like the smaller but more high-end model. So it's got an OLED at 6.43 inches, 90 hertz. And it's got the, it's a 4G phone. So it's got that Helio G96 from uh, MediaTek. And then it has a 108 megapixel camera instead of the 50 that you find on the base Note 11. And it's again, the, I don't know, I think the one, say the Samsung GN2 sensor, the 0.7 micron oh, right, that yeah. Nana bins. So it's not, it's not, doesn't, you know, it doesn't have YS or anything, but, and the 11 has this 33 watt charging, which I think the higher end models like, the 5G that I mentioned and stuff have 65 watt charging. Of course, no wireless charging on these. You get stereo audio on them. You get micro SD support. Look, if you're not in the US and you're looking for an affordable phone and 5G doesn't matter so much to you, I always tell people that the Redmi Note series every year, just since the 9, the 9 last year, the 10, this year, the 11, I think there's going to be, they're going to be a reference. So check those out. Uh, those are the phones that are the only real phones that were announced this week. The, the Huawei announced, you know, that they're making international global models of the P50 Pro and P50 Pocket, but we don't know. That's not going to come to the US and nope. these phones are already, they were already out. So I'm not going to get into them too much. Um, what I want to talk with you about, since we talked a lot about uh, OnePlus Buds <laughs> earlier, is the OnePlus stuff. So last week I had Jaime on the show and we talked about how we didn't understand the whole op. Like, I mean, we, we've been following up on OnePlus, both of us, for yeah. a long time, and you have too, right? And you've seen the opification. We've seen it coming even before they made it official, and we've seen the execution. And, you know, we were talking about this with Jaime, how we don't really understand the strategy because it seems like the 
the Apple and OnePlus brands are becoming almost identical and just cosmetic differences. Right. You know, of course, the Color OS, Oxygen OS, you know, being mostly Color OS thing. That's all fine by me. The only thing that I don't understand this year is how they launched a OnePlus 10 Pro in China only. And so the cat's out of the bag. We're going to get that phone. We, the only thing that we don't know about the US model of that phone is the pricing at this point. Mm. And as Jaime and I said last week, the pricing is going to be super critical because yeah. last year it was the 9 Pro was too expensive and didn't deliver enough and the camera wasn't good enough to really wow us. So the camera, Marquez just did his video, the camera is still not good enough, I think, to wow us. So- this thing better be 800 bucks or something, and then it's going to be a hit, right? And that's exactly what Marquez said, but I agree with him. And I don't understand this strategy of launching. If you're going to make OnePlus the kind of North America, Western brand of Oppo for markets, well, Europe has Oppo as well. So I'd say North American brand of Oppo, then why launch it in China first and ruin everything? And then why have all these rumors, which is what I want to get to with you, is that we now I finally have rumors of a 10 and 10R, of course, the 10R is for India, but so we might see a 10 with a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. And then what's got me more excited, you know, I was joking with somebody about this recently, like they need to make a OnePlus 10 Ultra. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Like, what is your take on all this? First of all, do you have any kind of interpretation of their weird strategy? And then secondly, are you excited about an Ultra? Uh, well, yeah. First of all, I'm really confused about what they're doing as well because they had all this good favor in the North American market People were rooting for them, and then they just abandoned them. Uh, and so now, when I talk to people about OnePlus, they're just like, "Oh yeah, I don't, I don't really care about them anymore." And I'm like, "What? Like, what did they do? They right. lost it. That's nuts." Um, and and I don't understand the push into the Hasselblad thing uh, when they're not really doing like anything amazing with the camera yet. And fun fact: Hasselblad is owned by DJI. I don't know if you know about that that's that's a weird thing and so that's just oh, a, wow yeah so that's just a licensing play for okay. the branding and supposedly some research and tuning and stuff like that um that they say will continue for a few years so we'll, we'll see how that materializes um but as as a whole like I, I don't understand what they're doing because now all the hype is gone like at least launch it at the same time I, i've seen marquez's video you have color os on there but like what what operating systems can they show up in the North American market? I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just really confusing. So whenever it lands here, at least with the enthusiasts, which to be honest, OnePlus is primarily with enthusiasts still, because um, yeah. it's still such a small you know market share. Well, it's gone. It's just, it's just going to show up and be like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, I, I don't get I know, it. That's how I feel too. And then, and so you know how last year's OnePlus 9 was a, the non-pro was a big disappointment because they removed OIS on something with a Hasselblad branding. Right. It, to me, like I'm okay with no OIS on a cheaper phone. I get it. It's a cost thing. But to me, it totally feels like they let the carriers dictate what features this phone should have. And, you know, I can live with a plastic frame, all those kind of like, for that price, that was a bit cheap mm -hmm. um but i was just like now we're hearing rumors of a 10 and i'm like please don't mess this up you know if you're yeah. gonna have the 10 for what do we know of the 10 pro that 10 better be you know competing at 600 bucks or something yeah. you know if it cuts any more corners but then the ultra yeah. oh yeah. what could that bring to the table can we please get a periscope telephoto yeah. in addition to whatever you got there yeah i mean like it, it's interesting because first of all like the the pro is not that much of an upgrade from the nine pro to be honest it's just more of a cosmetic right. difference in a, totally. a change in, in processor so that's confusing 
So yeah, an Ultra, okay, maybe that's the real pro, and maybe that's the real thing that's going to come to North America. But what makes an Ultra an Ultra? Like, I'm, I'm starting to get confused with some of these these names, because like, you know, any, anyone who's been watching or listening to my content for a while knows that, you know, we've talked about the Pixel Ultra and stuff like that, the Google Pixel Ultra. And I always ask people, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of exciting that there's something that might be hidden or whatever, but like, what would a Pixel Ultra even be? So what is a OnePlus Ultra? What would that even be? Like, phones are so mature now that like i'm not sure what what the big difference will be other than oneplus going for what would be the flagship tier uh specs that you see from samsung and and and, you know maybe apple uh because they're clearly not doing that with the oneplus 10 pro yeah no for sure i i just i feel like the oneplus 10 pro is an equivalent essentially to the oppo find x5 pro Mm. but you know with slight variations and that's basically what the oneplus 9 pro was an equivalent to the oppo find x3 pro last year without the microscope obviously and that's being dropped it looks like from the find x5 pro now so i to me an ultra would be to match samsung and speaking by the way of samsung I'm sure everybody already knows this, but the Unpacked event is now officially happening on February 9th, so stay tuned for that. But look, the S22 Ultra is coming. The S21 Ultra is with us. The S21 Ultra, you know, is a freaking amazing phone, really. I'm not a huge fan of their software, but I have to say in terms of hardware, man, that thing just ticks every box. And the camera performance is super solid. So to me, this is kind of how I interpret a OnePlus 10 Ultra. It's like thousand dollars or 1100 or whatever you know oh, but by, by the time it's on sale inflation <laughs> inflation the way i look at it is more by the time it's on sale you can get a deal from a carrier for a thousand or 1100 or something right. again you know because you know how it is with samsung that's the thing that jaime was saying last week that i so agree with it's the, the carrier deals and the, the samsung deals and the trading deals are just killing the rest of the competition you know sure. other than apple Right. Yeah, like I, I was looking up my S20 Ultra that I still have uh, for a trade-in and they would give me, I think it was like $700 $800 for it still. Wow. I mean, it's ridiculous. holy crap. Of course you're going to upgrade to an yeah. S22 Ultra if you can get that kind of money. For a two-year-old phone, wow. So, you know, my point is that to me, the 10 Ultra, the OnePlus 10 Ultra would be, you know, add a 10X or whatever periscope telephoto to the existing stuff we've seen. And... I mean, what else are you going to do? Like, it has everything else. It has super fast 50 watt wires charging, 80 yeah. watt wire charging, a big battery, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, lots of RAM, lots of storage. Is that going to be enough? Is someone going to want to upgrade it or are they going to want to pay $1,000 for it? And then that, that's kind of the problem that's happening right now, right? With smartphones. Well, yeah, especially when Samsung's going to have a super polished S22 Ultra. Unless they screw it up somehow, it's going to be really rock yeah. solid and it's going to come out with discounts. That one's going to be, I mean, without the discounts. So we're, we're, there's some nuance here, but like, you know, the list price is around what, uh, $1,300. So that's, yeah. that's quite pricey for the ultra. And it's essentially just a note to be frank. Um, but, <laughs> but Basically. yeah, yeah. But yeah, when you have the trade in deals and the carrier deals and stuff like that, it, it does make it more manageable. So I think that's kind of what I could see happening. But again, where's the excitement? Like if you just add a periscope to the one plus 10 pro good, I'm not against it, but how are people going to pick that over an S22 Ultra? Right. Like in the US. And since, you know, OnePlus obviously is the only BBK Group brand we sell officially here, then it's, you know, relevant. And the carriers obviously wants to, to get their ROI. Now, the carriers, I think, did sell the 9 Pro last year, some of them, but mostly they sold the 9, and the 9 was a dud. So I hope the 10 comes along and the 10's, 
you know, just needs to be competitive. I think I think OnePlus could make all this happen, including a 10 Ultra in the US, if they just were priced below Samsung. Right. And and hopefully after three more months, because the rumors are March or whatever, two more months, because the rumors are March for the launch, that they tune the cameras even better, right? Like there is some room for improvement there, according to Marquez, because, you know, it seems to me like it's just an imp- an equivalent to the 9 Pro with a worse ultra-wide, although you get a wider ultra-wide. So you get wider, but you don't get quite the same quality sensor. It's just weird. It's just weird. I don't understand the strategy. What I would love to see, and I said this to Jaime last week, is that I have an Oppo Find N here, the folding phone, right? And I would love to see them do a OnePlus version of that for the US. Now that, I think, could get some people excited because the form factor, it kind of fits between the flip and the fold from Samsung. And yeah, I guess we'll see. I like that form factor way more than the Galaxy Fold. It just like it's too narrow on the Galaxy Fold. Me too. Uh, so that that's pretty exciting. But you know, I, I don't know if we're, we're going to talk about this, but like it seems like Google is going to work on their own uh, foldable, and supposedly it's going to have the same form factor, you know, shape or aspect ratio as the Oppo uh, Find N. Absolutely. We we did touch on this last week when the rumors hit on that. I'm super excited about the foldable that Google's doing. It looks very clear that they're doing something, and you know. Maybe that's what we're going to get. Maybe we're not ever going to get this OnePlus Oppo equivalent. Or yeah. You're just going to get something from Google with the same display since Samsung makes it. And I'm I'm on board. I'm actually really excited about the Pixel 6a. We got more rumors of that this week alongside of rumors of the uh, Pixel Watch. Yeah. And I know you did a piece on the Pixel Watch a while back. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on all of, like Google's strategy? We've discussed it on the podcast a lot here, but let's not talk about the phones that already exist, but more like maybe in context of what you think is coming and where you think Google is going. Can Google really get away with making a folding phone they're going to sell more than 10 of? <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part is they don't they don't sell a ton of units. But I will say that it seems like, you know, this last round has done fairly well for them, uh, you know, despite better. supply chain issues. So, you know, maybe they would have done a lot better if they actually had it in stock and stuff. But, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about the foldable being discontinued, which is uh, didn't make a lot of sense. It's just delayed. And, you know, how do you know something is actually delayed or discontinued if it was never announced? It's all these weird things that are going on. But I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if they're having their own custom tensor in there. I'm curious because the tensor is really based upon an Exynos processor. And we know that there's been some issues with uh, Samsung's recent one. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the difficulties that are found from the Samsung side actually uh, played some sort of role into whatever chip is going into this foldable. But that's just speculation on my part. Just, I don't know anything, to be honest. But, you know, like, that, that, that might be it. Like, that's why the, the rumor, initially when it said it was discontinued, mentioned how it wouldn't be competitive. Um, so I, I wonder if that's, that's a part of it. Um, when we look at, like, the smartwatches and stuff like that, I, I think... We really do need Google to put out a Pixel Watch, desperately so, because... More important to me than anything else they're doing right now. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, if you look at supply issues and you have to pick your battles, I think the folding phone can wait another year, yes. but the watch needs to happen now. Yeah, because even with the Galaxy Watch 4, like, I know it has a new Wear OS and everything, and it's great, but it's still so Samsung-y. Like, I don't have oh the Google God. Assistant. I don't have, like, you know, the health apps. It's so 
it's all messy. Like I don't like it. And then on top of that, the thing that makes I me really excited is Fitbit because I, you know, I've, I'm actually wearing a Fitbit right now. I've been giving it a shot and I really enjoyed it because of the fitness, you know, uh, measurements and, and the sleep tracking is just really, really nice to have. And it's something that I don't have on the Galaxy Watch. So if you have something that's robust like that on, on like Fitbit integration within a Wear OS device, that's actually mm-hmm. going to be something that's at, seriously competitive to an Apple Watch because they already have that whole ecosystem. You bring in Fitbit, you already have a community, you already have like classes and everything else built in, ready to go from the start. And that's huge. So I, I think that's going to yeah. be like the, the best smartwatch for Android users by far. I agree with you. I, I think that the Samsung ones are just not that pleasant. And uh, I want that, you know, seamless integration with my Google experience and my Pixel experience. And you, as you said, with Fitbit, you bring all this community and well-tuned ecosystem to the play. And I think I I really want to see that happen. And I do want to see a 6A because I love yeah. the A-series phones. They're so sweet. And I really hope that you know, they can deliver something. I mean, the rumors right now is that we're going to keep the cameras from the 5A and add the Tensor chip. I'm fine with that because I feel point, that it's crazy. Like I have, I, know. I have this saying that my community knows it has a great delight to dollar ratio. Delight to dollar ratio. Lovely. Indeed. I've heard you say it. I think it's great. I think, look, I'm happy to see what Google's doing, but at the same time, just like pick your battles, Google. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like there is still this weird supply chain stuff. Please don't skip the watch because of a stupid <laughs> folding phone, right? Yeah. It's not stupid. I'm on board for a folding phone, but I just was like, oh, I want the watch so bad. I've been watching a Pixel watch since the Nexus days. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I you mean, know? like I don't know how many people are going to buy a foldable phone compared to a smartwatch. It's true. And like, uh, you know, there, there are some supply chain issues that are still going to persist, you know, throughout this year, like Apple had their earnings recently and, uh, they, they gave bad news in a very nice way. They said, Oh, supply chain will continue to be an issue until 2023 at least, but it's a little bit lesser than December, which is like, Oh, that's encouraging. We're at least going in the right direction, but it's going to be a long time to get to the end. hundred percent. Listen, I think we should wrap it up. I want to have you on again at some point to talk yeah. EVs because we just didn't oh, yeah. and we wanted to do that at some point. So maybe we should just do an episode on the state of EVs and you can join because I'd love to hear your perspective from someone who's trying to get into it Yeah. other than, you know, me who's just like been doing it for a while. And, you know, I have some pretty strong opinions, but yeah, do you want to let people know where they can find you on the internet, what your various social media handles are, and promote your YouTube channel, please? Yeah, uh, you can find me on YouTube at This Is Tech Today. Uh, that's the primary place to find polished content. Uh, but also, you can find me on the normal social media websites like Instagram and Twitter at This Is Tech Today. It's This Is Tech Today everywhere, let's be honest. Um, but I'm quite active on Twitter and, and Instagram and starting to get into the whole TikToks thing. So, you know, go follow me there. Ooh. <laughs> I need to pay attention to that. <laughs> I, you know, I'm Tankrel almost everywhere. T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character. Just drop the vowels and you get my handle on Instagram and my handle on Twitter. If you want to chat about this podcast with both Brandon and I, hit us up on Twitter. And of course, you want to see pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures taken with phones, pretty pictures of cars taken with phones. You see where this is going. <laughs> Check out my Instagram 
as well. And then the podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify. Everywhere good podcasts can be found. There's also an RSS feed at that URL you can uh, subscribe to. And uh, yeah, so subscribe, tell your friends. If uh, you use an app that lets you rate or review the podcast, please consider doing that. It helps people discover the show. And then, of course, we have a couple of YouTube channels, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore. You know how YouTube works. Subscribe, like the videos, comment in the videos. You can comment about the podcast in the videos. Mm. I don't mind if it's a little off topic, so go ahead. The uh, main channel is mostly unboxing videos of the phones I get as I get them generally just after the embargo lifts or something. I just like to show you visuals so that when I talk about something on the podcast, you're like, oh yeah, I saw Miriam handle this phone. I know what it looks like now. And then sometimes I do hands-ons and reviews, but it's, it's more rare. Uh, Mobile Tech More is kind of a new channel and it's really about the all the peripheral stuff around phones, like things like car tech, travel tech, home automation tech. I tend to lump the audio into the main channel because I feel like audio is a pretty essential part of the phone mm -hmm. experience anyway. So check out those channels. You know what to do about YouTube. You know how it works. So yeah. Patreon is another place where you can find me. There is patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl and you know this podcast can always use your help so consider helping we've got a bunch of tiers one is for a discord channel one is for video version you're gonna see brandon's face on video and me on this podcast if and you're gonna get it before everyone else so i published a video version kind of more raw less edited i don't go crazy with like the audio and the video quality too much and i get it to you a day or two before the audio version and sometimes you get extra content because we have to cut stuff out so consider joining patreon to get all these perks and check them out and i'd appreciate it also if you don't want to use patreon i get it there is a PayPal link in the show notes. You can click through that and buy me a coffee. That'd be awesome. I'd appreciate it. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, MediaTek. MediaTek is the number one Wi-Fi supplier across broadband, retail routers, consumer electronic devices, and gaming, and is one of the first adopters of Wi-Fi 7. And MediaTek's Wi-Fi 7 technology can fulfill the current need for all the application consumers enjoy today. MediaTek has also been investing heavily in 6G research and development to ensure high-quality technical development that will lead to its successful rollout in the coming years, with MediaTek's vision that 6G will enable intelligent, connectivity with ubiquitous and transformational user experiences globally. And of course, I want to thank Brandon for being on the show this week. Thanks so much, Brandon, for being my guest. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely. We'll have you on at some point in the future to talk about those EVs. Yeah. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.